0: Welcome to Follow the Data, I'm your host, Katherine Oliver. Did you know that 1 in 10 deaths around the world is caused by using tobacco? Most tobacco-related deaths occur in low- and middle-income countries, areas that are targets of intensive tobacco industry marketing. But the good news is that the scale of this human tragedy is preventable. The Bloomberg Initiative to Reduce Tobacco Use at Bloomberg Philanthropies works with national and local governments in more than 110 countries to help implement measures to protect people from harm, such as creating smoke-free public places, banning tobacco advertising, and increasing tax on tobacco products. The initiative builds on Mike Bloomberg's successful efforts in reducing smoking rates during his time as mayor of New York City. Since the launch of the Bloomberg Initiative to reduce tobacco use in 2007, global smoking rates have fallen from 22.7 percent to 17.5 percent. While we're making strides to save lives around the world, there's still work to be done in the face of new challenges such as the rise in flavored tobacco products and e-cigarette use among teens in the U.S. In this episode, I talk to Betsy Fuller, who is part of Bloomberg Philanthropy's team working to reduce tobacco use, to talk about tobacco control work in the Philippines and how that country is working to combat youth vaping and to share an update on global smoking rates around the world. So, Betsy, let's go back in time a little bit. Tell us about the genesis. How did Bloomberg Philanthropies get involved in the anti-tobacco initiative?
1: Luckily, the World Health Organization established the first ever public health treaty in 2005, which was while Mike was mayor in New York City. And he implemented a lot of the policies that were espoused in this global public health treaty on tobacco control, most of which were around smoke-free public places. So suddenly we couldn't smoke in the restaurants anymore. And And to this day,
0: (laughs) I witness this, waiters and waitresses stop him and say, Mr. Mayor, thank you for saving my life. Secondhand smoke. And everybody thought he was crazy, and it was early on in the administration, and I was in a different role, but I remember being on the receiving end. People were crazy at first, Yes, restaurant, bar owners, and then within a year, it changed, and people were like, this is unbelievable. We can breathe fresh air.
1: Yes, it really makes a huge difference, and you don't know... The difference until the absence of the problem, right? And that's what public health is really about. It's about the absence of death and disease and risk factors. So it's really hard to communicate before when that element exists. And then when it's taken away, it becomes a way of life. Mayor
0: Bloomberg signed the Smoke-Free Air Act in 2003 into law. And then quickly, other cities around the world started following suit.
1: Yes, as I stated, the Framework Convention, which was the first public health treaty, um, was put into enforcement in 2005 by the World Health Organization, and quickly over 190 countries signed on and ratified that. So we had this framework of policies and recommendations ready to go to um, help countries actually live out the promise of protecting their population's health through tobacco control.
0: And it's incredible. I mean, it's been a number of years since then. Time has passed. But the data is quite astounding. I mean, we've extended life expectancy of the average New Yorker, what is it, by over three years? And because directly of the no smoking laws and that serves as a great example for other cities, other territories around the world. Can you talk a little bit about how Bloomberg Philanthropies partners with cities and countries worldwide now in the work that you're doing?
1: Yes. Well, tobacco control was Bloomberg Philanthropies flagship program and we started in 2007. So a few years after FCTC, but also several years after we had implemented these laws here in New York City. And we partnered with WHO to develop a policy package called Empower, which focuses on key evidence-based policies to get people to quit smoking and to prevent people from starting smoking. We identified many countries around the world where the smoking prevalence was the highest and had the biggest populations, and we focused in on those countries. Some of the top population countries, China, India, Philippines, Indonesia, Mexico, um, and Russia at the time as well. So low- or middle-income countries that needed some assistance in implementing their promise to ratify this
0: What are some of the major misconceptions that people have about the dangers of using tobacco?
1: Well, I think when I talk to people, I think people are most surprised that tobacco use is still the leading cause of preventable death in the United States and also worldwide. So I think that some folks think that, you know, oh, no one smokes anymore, it's not a problem anymore, but it's still killing millions and millions of people every year. And the tobacco industry is still selling and advertising their products around the world, and people start smoking every day. Mm -hmm. And,
0: And since the launch of the initiative in 2007, we've seen that the global smoking rates have fallen quite a bit from 22.7% to 17.5%. What are some of the policies that have been successfully put in place to help push this work forward?
1: Yes. The policy package that we promote alongside WHO include passing laws that prohibit smoking in public places, such as restaurants and bars, public transportation, and in hospitals and hotels. They also require tobacco companies to put graphic health warnings on packs of cigarettes. So if you're traveling and you're in a store that sells cigarettes, you'll see often Big pictures of rotting lungs and diseased body parts, those are mandated by law in many countries, and they help prevent people from buying cigarettes and starting smoking. Um, And one of the most effective policies, of course, is raising taxes on tobacco products, essentially making them less affordable. And smokers, you know, think twice about spending their Mm hard-earned money on, on something that's really harming their health. And
0: the Philippines is a global leader on cigarette tax and and one of the first few countries to regulate new tobacco products, including vapes. Um, Tell us about our work in the Philippines. You mentioned we were targeting countries, territories with large populations like China, um, like India, but the Philippines is right up there as well.
1: Yes, it is a high population country and it's a challenging country in that it's an archipelago of many, many islands and provinces. So some of them are quite hard to reach, but Philippines has a very robust civil society and a very strong government governance uh, infrastructure, and they are dedicated to improving public health. So when we began our partnership with the Philippines, their smoking prevalence was close to 30% of the adult population. So that was significant. But as you mentioned, they have passed many policies over the years. And um, one of the most successful ones was their tax work. Many advocates and government agencies have... uh, banded together to to create coalitions, to increase taxes, continue increasing taxes over the years. And um, now that smoking prevalence is down to 19.4%, which is a remarkable, remarkable improvement.
0: And in the Philippines, there are no smoking rules in place for smoking outdoors as well as indoors? Or what are, what are some of their policies?
1: Yes. So the national policy, there is a national 100% smoke-free policy in place, but really it's the local government units that are important in implementing these policies. It is that agency at the city level that needs to draw up the rules, make it their own, and put it into place. So some cities in um, Philippines are very strict on smoking, and you can't even smoke on the sidewalk. So you'll get a a ticket, and you'll have to go down to a government office to pay that ticket before you leave that city. In some cases, um, I was on a plane, actually, earlier in the year, flying to Davao City, and they announce it on the plane. They say Davao City is a smoke-free city. Please be forewarned. Note that. <laughs> and it's funny because I don't even, as an American, you know what we think of as smoke-free is I can't smoke in the restaurant. But it does it also means in Davao that if you step outside of your hotel, you can't smoke on the sidewalk either. And what about vaping in the Philippines? Vaping is on the rise. The market is expanding and it's a it's kind of a battleground right now for tobacco industry because they are introducing e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products and vapes um, onto the market to really get a hold of the market when that decline in smoking traditional cigarettes has been so impressive.
0: But there are no regulations against vaping. So there might be no smoking, but they specify cigarettes versus other devices?
1: Well, the vaping is included in the smoke-free law, so but it really depends. And because it's very murky right now, um, local governments have to fold that into their smoke-free laws, for example. There are regulations on vape products currently um, you are not able to buy products until you're 21, but a law immediately went into place after that regulation went into place, lowering it back to 18. So the enforcement is kind of all over the place. No one really knows what the law is, and it's very challenging to enforce in any way. So these products are everywhere, the flavors are everywhere, and young people are definitely taking it up.
0: Now, you and the team have spent quite some time in the Philippines just reflecting on the work. What are you most impressed with, you know, the accomplishments that have been made so far?
1: Certainly, the biggest accomplishment is the Syntax Coalition. In 2012, there was a coalition between government agencies, civil society, academia, really banding together to raise taxes, not only on tobacco products, but also on alcohol and sugar-sweetened beverages and other products. So this bill was a real intense collaboration between the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Health and other agencies. They designed the bill very wisely so that the taxes indexed, which means they increased over the years, um, along with inflation and other economic factors, and also raised the taxes at a level where people would quit also. However... Many people think that when people quit, well, won't your revenues go down? If you raise the tax high enough, the revenues keep going up. So the revenues from this bill then went to fund universal health coverage in Philippines and covered millions of more poor Filipino families in their UHC. So... It became a big win on both sides. It got people to quit smoking. It increased healthcare access to the poorest Filipinos. And it was very popular and continues to be a very popular policy in Philippines.
0: Amazing lessons learned with our work at Bloomberg Philanthropies, you know, all the cities, territories always want to know, well, what, what is so-and-so doing? And what is this area doing? And how do you go about taking some of the lessons learned from the experiences in the Philippines and taking them to some other challenging places like China and India and beyond?
1: Yes, we're always trying to learn from best practice and apply it in different places. Of course, it's not that simple all the time. Definitely uh, different government structures, different policy processes are always a factor. Um, But these types of opportunities to really showcase these wins across the globe are are important and we try and take advantage of them often we do in the bloomberg initiative at least we gather countries often together um, to learn from each other and put them in touch with resources from other countries outside of the initiative as well to do that cross-country learning Mm
0: -hmm. and when you think of our work on a global basis with these tobacco anti-tobacco initiatives What is the number one data point that you think we should be watching? I mean, I referenced, you know, life expectancy, and that's Mm -hmm. near and dear to all of our hearts, of course. But what is the number one data point that you think we should be zeroing in on now?
1: Well, I think it's always just important to keep on our radar the adult tobacco use prevalence percentage. So even though it's declining, around the world, it's really the most important data point, I think, to watch because as that's declining, other data points might be changing as well. The other is the youth use of e-cigarettes and new products. I think that's a data point that we really need to keep an eye on so we can be ahead of the curve and regulate those products to protect kids.
0: We're seeing more PSAs in America on the dangers of vaping and parents having those conversations with their children. What other work is being done in the arena specifically to
1: address anti-vaping and e-cigarettes? Our work in the U.S. focuses primarily on banning flavors and including e-cigarettes and vapes and traditional tobacco products and, and great to, success in California not that long yes. ago. Yes, a great success in California. It was fought very hard from the industry. And um, this is the banning of
0: flavored of cigarettes. flavors
1: in, across the state, yes. Um, and that, that was a real challenge, um, but, but definitely came out on top on that one. And obviously California has a huge population, so it impacts the prevalence across the country as well.
0: But now the challenge is enforcement.
1: Yes, certainly. I mean, enforcement is a challenge wherever we are, even in a city like New York City, um, where, for example, we recently legalized marijuana. There's a lot of illegal marijuana sales happening out in the open, and enforcement is the challenge here Mm -hmm. on that. So it's it's a similar challenge. With vape and e-cigarettes products, They're often advertised online as well and through social media, and that is very difficult to regulate as well. What's the most gratifying part of your job? I think the most gratifying is just the impact, the scale of impact that we can have in this policy work in public health. If you can, you know, pass smoke-free laws in China and India, for example, like you can prevent millions and millions and millions of deaths and that is just very powerful to think that policy has that level of impact and that's been really gratifying
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of follow the data bloomberg philanthropies is committed to preventing tobacco related illnesses and saving lives in cities and countries around the world. Many thanks to Betsy Fuller for joining us today. As always, the views of our guests are entirely their own, and Bloomberg Philanthropies hasn't independently verified any of the statements made by this episode's guests. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to follow the data. This episode was created by Minnie Kim, Amy June, Devin Alessio, Erica Goodmundson, Veronica Lewin, Stephen Fossberg, Doug Higginboth, and Chris. Lewis. To learn more about Bloomberg Philanthropies' efforts to reduce tobacco use around the world, visit Bloomberg.org. You can follow Bloomberg Philanthropies on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube to learn more about how we help cities and countries implement public health measures. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Katherine Oliver. Thanks for listening.